welcome to another episode of When Opportunity Knocks. I'm your host, Nancy O'Keefe, and today we're going to talk about a topic that is really becoming something that everybody needs to focus on in the coming years. I'm talking about management and the way we deal with the people that power our organizations. And today we're going to talk a little bit about people, management, versus motivation, because we, ha- we know we have a problem in the engagement department, because what we find in statistics year after year is that many of the employees that work for us are not engaged in what they're doing. We find that only 30% of employees are really engaged in the jobs they have, and that means for us as business owners that we're not able to motivate them to do what we need them to do to help our businesses grow and thrive. So today we're going to examine a little bit about what might be going on there, some food for thought. So in the interest of setting the stage, let me just give a little history lesson, if I might. In the 1700s, way back in the 1700s, the father of economic development and capitalism, Adam Smith, developed the concept of division of labor. And it was about specialization to save time. It really was basically focusing on what you were doing in such a way, in such a discreet and minute and focused way, that it eliminated a lot of the stop and start time that we have when we jump from one thing to another. So it removed the idea of moving from one task to the other and doing the same thing in a repetitive way over and over again. And it really facilitated the type of one operation job that helped to increase the productivity and output in this country during the Industrial Revolution. People were well poised with this work method to move into the factories of the Industrial Revolution and to contribute to what became known as mass production. And as the factories grew larger and you could produce more and more goods, owners needed to enlist the help of others to facilitate the mass production afforded by the machines and the larger staff of workers. In addition to specialization, things like standardization on processes, quality control, and focus on what people knew and what they could do, i.e. management, came into practice. And many of those management practices that were devised around the Industrial Revolution and shortly thereafter are actually still in effect today. The field of management then grew quite a bit, especially in the early to mid-20th century, with the emergence of many gurus and writings, such as the work of Alfred Sloan, Max Weber, and of late, Peter Drucker all gurus in the field of management. Gentlemen started working on this. Sociology, psychology, and mathematics began to find their way into many management theories. The worker began to be viewed in a different light, not just part of the production process, but gaining knowledge and insight into the process and maybe even having something more to contribute than just operating the machines. The relationship between the manager and the worker began to change. 
so management theories began to change and develop. And the need arose around management to help people better do their jobs. New emphasis was put on motivation and employee engagement. And through the work of Douglas McGregor, his theory why, the idea of what managers do began to shift from control to a more participative style. And concepts like coaching and emotional intelligence were born. Rita Gunther McGrath, author of The End of the Competitive Advantage, wrote that today we are in the midst of another fundamental rethinking of what organizations are and for what purpose they exist. She cited three eras, the execution area to create scale and mass production, i.e. the Industrial Revolution, the expertise era to provide advanced services, which we saw in the information and knowledge age, and a new era creating itself as we speak, where workers are looking to create more meaningful experiences, which she called the era of empathy. And we wrestle with this new era as it dawns and expands. It requires yet another new mindset and definition around management. So let's take a look at what managers do. According to Peter Drucker, who is the most recent leader in modern study of management, managers have five basic tasks. They set objectives, number one. Setting goals and priorities. Deciding what needs to be done and how much of it. The second major task is organizing, dividing up the work and delegating it to the people that work under them, setting the priorities. The third task is motivating and communicating, building teams, citing things like placement, who will work on what, promotion, and pay. Number four is They measure. They appraise and interpret the performance. They measure the output. They measure absenteeism. They measure many things around the workers and the job getting done in the hopes of producing as much as possible. And number five is that they develop people. Notice this is last on the list. Other common definitions include things like plan, organize, coordinate, and control. The definition of management is centered around organizing and controlling, directing, and keeping things compliant. And many of us aspire to become supervisors and managers when we work in organizations because promoting to that level usually involves an elevated status, a title, and more money. In many firms, the criteria for selecting those that will be promoted to supervisors and managers is based on the level of success that person achieved in whatever job or discipline they held in the organization. And it's usually not management. The skills that person develops in their non-management position 
may be very different than the skills needed to manage resources, especially people. New managers may have high proficiency in technical skills and a high level of knowledge in the area they come from. But what training do they get to receive the information they need to get the things done now through people rather than just by themselves? New managers face many new challenges, and they, I think, face them with a mix of excitement and apprehension. When you don't get the training, you're in a position of unknown, and that can be a challenging place to be. Now, they most likely will have to develop new skills to stretch and grow, and to use the skills that likely got them promoted and the ones they're likely really good at and probably enjoy doing, they'll be doing those things less and less. At some point in their career as a manager, their technical skills may become stale or outdated because they're going to spend more time doing management things like measuring, controlling, setting priorities, and less of the actual work itself. If they tackle their new position from a vantage point of control, they're likely to have difficulty completing their objectives through people. Often they start out with an inflated sense of authority, status, and autonomy because they're used to working in a vacuum. In reality, there are many more relationships to navigate at the management level. Not only are they in a new relationship and new territory with these people that they used to be peers with, but now they have to develop new relationships with their bosses and senior executives. Although responsibility comes with a promotion, authority doesn't come automatically. People don't blindly follow, especially those that are knowledgeable and talented in their own right. The new manager must earn the respect of direct reports, and it doesn't come with the title. A level of trust has to be cultivated before the new manager can be effective at getting their direct reports into a cohesive team that can get things done. Now, most managers are measured on their ability to get the work done, to meet the goals and objectives, to save money, to do things in the most efficient way, to execute the plans they've been given, especially those in middle management. They don't often get to set the plans, mostly just execute them. So focus on cultivating relationships is necessary to meet those objectives. But it's often not the focus of the new manager who's trying to get his or her arms around all their new job duties. And if they become too focused on the tasks they have to achieve, they may not be successful cultivating positive relationships the kind of relationships that help them get things done. If they become too focused on the relationships, they may not be seen by their management as having what it takes to get the job done because they'll have to use some of those soft skills, people skills that aren't often valued in many workplaces. So the qualities and skills that are necessary for today's manager to be successful are really a delicate balance and people skills with the people skills gaining ground as necessary to engage and motivate workers. 
People have evolved in the 100 years since they first left their farms and cottage industries to take a job. The worker of today is well-informed and has more education, and in many cases, a higher standard of living. They want more from a job than just making a living. They want a lot more from a job than just making a living. And when we come back, we're going to take a quick break. Let's take another look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs and talk about what this means, not only for today's workers, but for the people that manage them. And we'll be right back. If you are a woman who struggles in a business world that keeps your earnings lower than they should be and doesn't support the success you want, no matter how long and hard you work, then I would like to speak with you. Hi, I'm Nancy O'Keefe, and as an executive coach, I'm on a mission to help women maximize their earning potential and create a business life that serves them. You know, success is unique to each one of us, and cookie-cutter career and business models don't give most of us what we want and need. I help women just like you develop their own style of success and learn how to find more opportunities, increase their earning power, and create a business life they love. I'd love to speak with you. Sign up for a free Love Your Business Life consultation with me at www.nancyokeefecoaching.com and let's schedule a time to talk. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. One of my mottos for business owners is, you can't do it alone. Whether you're in the startup stage of your business or you're scaling, you can't grow without relationships to provide support, wisdom, and new customers. eWomen Network is your home to connect with other women entrepreneurs who've been where you are or are experiencing the same challenges. We have chapters across the U.S. and Canada that have monthly events featuring our trademarked process called Accelerated Networking to ensure you get the contacts, resources, and leads you need to grow your business. And once you become a member, you get many benefits, including two one-on-one coaching sessions, unlimited access to our membership database, your own personal profile page, and discounts on products and services with our business partners, such as UPS and American Express Open. Join the eWomen Network community and let us help you live your dream. For details, visit eWomenNetwork.com. Welcome back to When Opportunity Knocks. Today we're having a conversation about management versus motivation. I'm your host, Nancy O'Keefe, and we're talking about how managers need to change in this new era. And let's take a deeper look at that using the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We've talked about this in other episodes, but if we look at it again, we can see that what needs people are likely to want to satisfy once the basic needs of making a living are met are something different than what traditional management theories work with. And they most likely need to satisfy them in order to reach their full potential, which is what we are after as managers, are we not? We want those high-performing employees that reach their full potential. So let's take another look. 
If you recall, the Maslow's hierarchy of needs is a triangle. And at the base of the triangle, we have the basic needs. Food, shelter, air to breathe, water to drink. The next level up are the safety needs. Being secure, having some security. The third level up are the love and belonging needs, where we need to establish trust, affiliation, and be accepted. And once those needs are met, we get up to the esteem needs, the needs where we are seeking achievement and mastery. And then in the newer hierarchy of needs, we have the cognitive needs, where we have a thirst for knowledge and understanding. Then we have the aesthetic needs, where beauty and balance in the world comes into play. And what used to be the peak of the hierarchy of needs was self-actualization, where your potential is reached and you're involved heavily in personal growth. And under the new version of the Maslow's hierarchy, we have the tippy-top being a tendency to help others self-actualize. So right above the basic needs of food, shelter, safety, security, the things that one would hope a living wage would help most people achieve, comes first the love and belonging needs. And exactly what does that mean? Well, people want relationships. They want to trust. They want to be trusted. They want to have acceptance, and they want to belong. And next in the hierarchy are the needs of a new age of empathy, the people age, the esteem needs of achievement and mastery. So now if we can assume that we have satisfied the basic needs with a good living wage and um, a job that's reasonably secure and the ability to create safety in our lives, then we need to be looking up the hierarchy to see how we satisfy and motivate people by meeting their needs. So the esteem needs, the achievement, the mastery, the prestige, the independence, the self-respect, and the other needs that are part of this concept of reputation begin to come into play as well as the needs of belonging. And finally, the cognitive needs, which are the knowledge and understanding, the curiosity, the need for meaning and predictability. Those are the things that people are looking to have satisfied in the workplace today. And all of these needs are about personal growth and affiliation, not control. And if we're stuck in a management paradigm that is focused on an organization directing, measuring, and controlling, is it any wonder that people aren't motivated or engaged at work? I've heard it said that people don't leave their jobs. They leave their managers. Interesting. Something to think about. I recently had a booth at a very large conference in the Boston area. And as part of the booth, I provided 10-minute mentoring sessions. I did over 50 of those sessions in the time I was there, and I was shocked to learn that at least 65 or 70 percent of the people that sat down in my booth cited their inability to get ahead was because of their manager. 
There were many reasons. Here's a few. My manager doesn't see that I have other capabilities. My manager didn't pass along my ideas and suggestions. I went and talked to my manager about something and it just dropped at that point. My manager didn't let me see any of the opportunities that might be available. They didn't share information, consider me for opportunities. They didn't let me work on some of the new and exciting projects. And, you know, I could go on, but the crux of the matter is that managers can, in some cases, be major roadblocks to an employee meeting the needs that they have around self-esteem, cognitive and knowledge, and even belonging. They're alienating people when they don't listen and they don't support the people that work under them. You know, management is stuck in a 100-year-old mass production industrial revolution control and fear-based paradigm that is creating major roadblocks for people working in organizations and thus the success of the organizations themselves. Simply put, People have evolved and management has not. Organizations that fail to recognize the paradigm shift needed to embrace this will continue to have increasing difficulty attracting, retaining, and engaging high-performing workers. Organizations that embrace a new paradigm and start thinking differently about these things, a paradigm needed for the people age that we're entering, will leap ahead of the competition with what I call a human competitive edge. The organizations with the best people will win. They'll be the best organizations. To get the best people, you must be the best place to work. It's kind of a catch-22, but it's a solvable one. But unfortunately, you must have the cultural attributes that align with and honor the needs of the workforce you're trying to attract. And you must provide training that's needed, people that are the managers, to work with the people the way they want to be worked with. You need to help them thrive in this age. People are more than their job descriptions, and we must learn to look beyond what management has traditionally looked at in order to get to know the people that are working with us and to motivate them to achieve their maximum potential. You must rid the organization of managers that have a win-lose attitude, the ones that are fearful of workers surpassing them and really lacking those skills that are needed to work with the people that have evolved to a place where they want to belong. They want more meaning out of work. They have a thirst for knowledge. They're curious. They want to contribute. They don't want to be controlled. They don't want to be micromanaged. And they don't want to have jobs that keep them in a box That's not something that's exciting. It's not meeting today's needs. And it's probably one of the major causes of the fact that we have 30% engagement. Let's take another break. And when we come back, we'll explore this a little bit more. You can be the best at what you do and still not find the success you want if your ideal clients can't separate you from your competition. So how can you stand out? You need a sustainable, competitive advantage that gets clients' attention. When it's hard for clients to differentiate you from others that do what you do, you need to help them see you as the best choice. I call it a superpower. And the good news is, 
everyone has one. So contact me, Nancy, at nancyokeefecoaching.com to learn how you can discover your superpower and stand out from the crowd. I'm looking for a certain kind of woman, and I think you know her. She's an entrepreneur that is highly connected, successful, significant in her own industry, and considered the go-to woman in her community. She's received so much from so many women in business, she's ready to give back to others on their journey, lifting as she climbs. Hi, this is Sandra Yancey, and I'm the founder and CEO of eWomen Network. I'm looking to connect with the woman I've just described who lives in your community so that we might have a conversation about how eWomen Network's proven success system can provide her a platform to elevate her success and ability to support women in business. Our international community of managing directors are influencing the speed of success for women in business around the world. If that sounds like something that you want to be part of or know someone we should talk with, send an email to managingdirector at eWomenNetwork.com. That's managingdirector at eWomenNetwork.com. And let's start the conversation. Welcome back. This is Nancy O'Keefe with When Opportunity Knocks, and we're exploring management and motivation. So there's lots of stories I could share with you around this. I see this happen pretty much every day in the clients that I work with. I see people needing and wanting more out of their workplace. They want a sense of fulfillment in what they're doing. They want to feel good about what they're doing. They want to contribute. And think about it. If you get in the car or on a commuter vehicle of some sort and you spend a long time commuting in horrible traffic or um, on a crowded train or something to go to a job, you, you have to have some motivation to even do that. Getting up in the morning and leaving your family and going to work, obviously you're motivated because you want to earn a living so you can support your family and give them the things that you want. But do we want people just walking around like robots doing their jobs to get the money that they need to live? I think not. We've evolved beyond that. When people go to work, they want to establish relationships with the people they work with. They want to belong. They have needs around affiliation, and those needs are important. So having a work environment, a culture where relationships are cultivated is very important. And the companies that have a strict policy about, you know, talking to other people or um, getting involved with each other after work or something, those are the companies that are in the Stone Age We want to do things as an organization to help cultivate the kind of belonging needs that people want to satisfy. Again, remember the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So you want to foster the environment in such a way that people are encouraged to do things together, to collaborate on work projects, as an example, within the work environment, not to work in isolated silos hanging around in their cubes or offices, have more meetings and discussions, bring people in on things, invite people that maybe even don't have a direct 
linked to what's being done, but probably somewhere in their experience have uh, done something or seen something that might help them contribute to what you're doing. Including people is a key aspect here. And then we have family needs. When we think about the needs of a family, and we've come to terms a little bit with this, with things like uh, paternity leave and so on, but more and more, people want to spend time with their families. When you go to work to earn a living to support your family, the goal is your family. So we need to respect the fact that people that work for us have families. They have other interests. They have other obligations. And even if they're single people, they might have obligations to take care of aging parents, as an example. And yet our workplace today doesn't respect or honor any of that. We have policies around absenteeism and vacation and things like that that really don't enhance or support the things people need to do in their family life. And it creates a lot of stress for people. And in doing that, it can kill their enthusiasm and their motivation. Things like a flexible workplace, flexible hours. I ran a large company with over 50 employees who were located in four different states. And only six or seven of them actually came into the office every day. The rest of my staff was completely virtual. And I'm talking about doing this in the early 2000s. So a good 15 or so years ago, longer, 17 years ago when we started doing it, this was really not the norm. There might have been a few people that worked at home, but most people went into the office or went into work. And we had to build some technology to even make it possible. But in doing it, I learned a lot about people. I learned that people want to work. People want to do a good job. Most people. There's always some slackers or people that are preoccupied by something else going on in their life and not focused on what they're doing. But for the most part, people want to do a good job. They want to feel good about what they're doing at work. They're spending eight, nine, maybe even ten hours a day doing it, and it should be something that they feel good about. But they have commitments. And when I started to staff the projects that I did, I had an outsourcing firm. And when I started to staff the projects, a project would come along and I'd need to scramble and get some number of people to staff it. Realized I needed to build a bench so that I had people kind of waiting in the wings so that as the projects came on board, I could quickly get people I had already vetted and we could get rolling in a very fast fashion. So I started to think a little bit about who I could tap into as workers. And I realized that there was a whole labor force out there that nobody else was looking at, and it was stay-at-home moms. People that had decided that they wanted to make the conscious choice of leaving their jobs and staying home to raise their children. Now, many of these people had exceptional skills. They had had great jobs, but they came to that point in their life where they decided that they wanted to 
really focus on their family and put the job on the back burner. Now, for women, and most of them were women, that was a very dangerous decision. Dangerous in the fact that it wasn't always easy to come back into the workforce some 10 or 12 or 15 years later at anywhere near the level you left it. They made that decision to do that. That's how important it was for them to support their families. So I looked at that labor force and I found amazing people who had the skills I needed and the skills that we used in our outsourcing projects were high high skills. They were skills like um, rating calculations and doing uh, underwriting or risk selection and contract issuance. So you needed skills that were high-level skills, and I found them. I found so many great workers looking outside of the box and employing them in a way that was also outside of the box where they were able to work at home and contribute in a big way, make a great salary equal to the one they left, get full benefits and paid company vacation and all of the things that they had in the jobs that they took their cars and their mass transportation to. And what I learned was this. When you treat people right, they will work so hard for you harder than you would ever expect them to. When you try to control them and dictate to them, they lose their enthusiasm and they don't work hard for you. It seems very simple to me. And I've seen it in action and I know it to be true because I'd be on my email on a Sunday night at 11 o'clock organizing myself for Monday morning and I would send out a bunch of emails And I was amazed at the responses I got. I even had one email exchange. What are you doing up so late working on a Sunday night? And this is the response I got. What are you doing up so late working on a Sunday night? And this was the culture that we formed. It was a caring culture that respected people's needs and helped them excel in their work, feel good about what they were doing, have a sense of belonging, and really make a contribution for a fair wage. We used to bring everybody into the office once a quarter for a meeting, usually lasting a day, maybe two, where we'd exchange information, where we'd you know, have some fun activities. People could get to know each other and get that sense of belonging to an office that they might miss working at home in their homes. We also had outings um, a couple of times a year that were just pure fun. And instead of having an office where we had a whole bunch of cubes, we had a few uh, cubes and offices for the people that came in on a daily basis, which, as I mentioned, was only about a half a dozen. Myself and my um, lead assistant were two of the six. But we had a bullpen, a place where people could go in a big room and come in and collaborate work together if they wanted to. And they used that room quite a bit. They would call each other up and they would give um, each other a date and a time when they could get together. And lo and behold, they'd show up in the office unannounced, head for the bullpen to work on something together. And it was an amazing culture. It was something that um, I will never 
forget being a part of. I learned so much about the people, and we all contributed to each other's success in a really big way. So let's take another quick break, and when we come back, let's look at the other side of that coin and when things don't go so well and you have employees that are disengaged. And we'll be right back. Are you tired of playing small or earning less than you are worth? What could you accomplish if you were given the opportunity? If you want more, more influence, more impact, more income, and more success, then join me in my new program, Get Savvy, Secure, and Successful. Learn the skills and strategies you need to find the opportunities you want to put your real value out in the marketplace and maximize your earning power in your business or career. To learn more about the program, go to nancyokeefecoaching.com and look under our work in professional development. Are you struggling to implement a consistent presence for your business on social media? So many social media sites and so little time. You can minimize the time you're spending posting and managing social media without a big reoccurring monthly bill. Get help to put a strategy in place that will maximize your presence on the sites that are right for you. Get you more results because you're consistent with your message and minimizes the time and effort it takes to do it. Contact me at nancyokeefecoaching.com. Welcome back to When Opportunity Knocks, and we're talking about management versus motivation. So as I mentioned a little bit ago before the break, my style of management was really a hands-off style. I tried to hire people I knew could do the work. I looked for people who were going to be a good fit, self-starters, people that were self-motivated, and then we let them do their thing. We had some rules around uh, getting the work done, but the, the focus was on results, not how you do things every day, not where you do them from. Frankly, I didn't care where they were, and I didn't care what hours they worked. As long as they told us when they were going to be available, they got paid by the hour, and when they said they were there, they were, in fact, there working, so that if we sent a project over to be worked on, we knew that it would get done. It wasn't falling into a black hole. So those were the really the only rules, and the results we got were phenomenal. So let's look at the other side of that. We've all worked in places where we get told what to do, we get told how to do it, we get told when it's due, and the focus is on results, but it's also on all of those other things too. There are environments where we're micromanaged. There are environments where, um, you know, we're dictated to. And those kinds of things, frankly, don't work. Many people out there in the workforce are creative people. And they don't have serial thinking. They have iterative thinking. And they need to be in a position to work in a way that works for them. They have their own style and their own methodologies, and those need to be respected. But often with management styles that are micromanaging or too strict or too focused on measuring in the wrong things, 
um, those kind of people just can't thrive in those organizations. So it's about understanding the people. Here's an example. An organization I know is really moving into the what I'll call the 21st century in terms of its people and is starting to think about um, what their people need and how to satisfy their needs and make them good and motivate them and help them feel engaged and enthusiastic about their work. And one of the things that we've been working on together uh, to accomplish is to carve out new roles and responsibilities for people based on not only what they can do, but what they enjoy doing and things that would satisfy their needs. Okay, now I, I know what you're thinking. Well, isn't that great? We can create a workforce that just does what they enjoy doing. How are we going to get the things done that people don't enjoy doing? Well, it's not exactly to that extreme. But when you give people the ability, the empowerment to become their best self, to do the best job they can do at what they know how to do, you'll be surprised at the results. Most people will not disappoint you. They will step up and rise to the occasion because they will feel good about themselves. They'll feel included. They'll feel those self-esteem, those love and belonging, those cognitive needs being met, and that will help to fuel their motivation. Flexibility is another huge thing. It's often very difficult for some managers to manage people that have flexible hours, no less don't even work on site. They're looking to watch what they're doing, thinking that people aren't going to do a good job unless somebody's standing over them or checking in with them or measuring what they're doing, which I believe is just the wrong way to look at this, that people will do a good job if they're given the right environment and the right training and the right set of instructions. And they understand clearly what the expectation is for the results. The more sort of authority you give people around the work they do, the better they're going to do it. I've seen this happen time and time again. So for people that start to embrace flexible work hours, which we're seeing more and more of in the workplace, we've still got those managers in those organizations that have a problem managing those people because they're looking at it from the paradigm of control rather than the paradigm of results. I had one of the managers in this organization I'm referencing pull me aside and say, oh, you know, so-and-so, they're never here, they're out, they're doing this, you know, we don't know what they're doing, you know, is this the way we want this to work, you know, what about other people, what are they thinking, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, my question was this, are they getting the the work done? Are you getting the results that you have asked for and expect? Okay, then really, what is the problem? And it's that thinking. It's not easy to change it, but we have to start thinking differently about this because as technology advances, as the work-life balance issue surfaces again, certainly with the millennials, um, you know, as the baby boomers leave the workforce, we're going to lose that um, stability in our workforce of people that were focused pretty much on achievement and really let some other things in their life slip 
so they could achieve. Uh, People in that generation, and I'm one of them, often put work ahead of family and other things we wanted to do because that's what we felt was expected of us, and that's how we felt it was to get ahead. But newer generations, younger workers that are coming up, think differently about those things. And they're not going to put everything in on the back burner so they can achieve at work. That's not what they're about. And it's causing a, um, a set of symptoms, I'll say, in the workplace that look like they're, they're lazy. It looks like they don't want to step up. It looks like they don't want to work. Um, and I don't believe that's true. I think they just want to work differently. They want different things. And as managers, we need to wake up and understand what that is. And how do we do that? We get to know people. We spend more time on the soft skills, the relationship skills. We spend more time caring about the people that work with us and less time worrying about whether they're working or not and measuring their performance. They'll give you performance if you empower them to do it. It's a new way of thinking. It's going to take a little change. But if we want to progress with the people that are coming up into the workforce now and into the future. This needs to change. And the change doesn't have to be a painful one. Change can be, can be done gently and easily. And we can be in a position to maximize the resources, to help them become high-performing resources, and to find, attract, cultivate, retain, the high-performing, high-powered employees we all want in our organizations. Something to think about. Thanks for joining me on When Opportunity Knocks. This is the EWN Radio Network. business owner check you have business owners insurance check and 10 years ago that went about enough today small businesses are being targeted and taken down by hackers medical offices consultants cpas any business that's built success has everything to lose you probably have cybersecurity installed on your computer check but you probably don't have cyber insurance coverage against loss and damage if your data is compromised cyber policy covers that gap cyberpolicy.com shops the leading cyber insurers to find you the right policy at the right price to avoid a catastrophe coverage against loss and damage if your data is compromised get a custom quote today in just four minutes and for a limited time use the promo code blog talk to get norton's small business protection for up to five devices free when you sign up for cyber insurance plan prevent insure Visit cyberpolicy.com. That's cyberpolicy.com. 
CNBC Boston responds, answering your consumer complaints. Once you guys were involved, they were very helpful. No one wants to feel ripped off. What they were doing was wrong. It was just wrong. So if you can't get answers. I felt like I was strung along. NBC Boston's Leslie Gatos will. Once I sent my email into NBC, contacted right away. It's your money, and NBC Boston Responds wants to help you get it back. NBC Boston definitely helped me. Contact us at NBC Boston Responds.